So welcome back, uh, fellow innovators. This is Patrick Emmons. And this is Shelly Nelson. Welcome to Innovation and the Digital Enterprise podcast, where we interview successful visionaries and leaders, giving you an insight into how they drive and support innovation within their organizations. We are really excited about our guest today, Anne Medea. Anne most recently served as the EVP and CIO of HSBC US. She has over 20 years of experience in technology. Anne started at Household International, which is headquartered here in Chicago. She actually began as a programmer and moved up the ranks to senior manager of software development. And from there, she continued to climb the ladder and was accountable for over 1,500 people in the U.S. and in locations all over the world supporting the U.S. strategy. She was accountable for a $450 million U.S. budget. Anne is a very passionate leader who has held U.S., America's, and global technology roles while continuously delivering business value. Her focus is on strategy, execution and delivery, operations, and managing constant change in a matrix environment while leading technology and business transformation. Equally as important, Anne is passionate about women and girls in technology and is a frequent speaker, mentor, and coach dedicated to the advancement of women in business and technology. We are very excited to have her on the show today to share some of her successes and, just as importantly, uh, some of her failures. Hi, Anne. Welcome to the show. Hi, Shelley. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, Anne, if you don't mind, uh, you know, I know when we uh, talked before, you were talking about some of the big transformations that have gone on uh, under your watch over the last about two years? Yeah, two, three years. Yeah, yeah. what did you tell us about that? Sure, absolutely. So the thing about my companies, both household and HSBC, is it never stops changing. And that's really something that I've enjoyed over my career. We are always, always on the move, always doing something different, always trying to change up the business, um, impacting our customers in a good way, trying to um, try to make things better for our customers. So We've had a couple of really big initiatives. One of them was obviously the sale of our credit card business to Capital One, and that was probably about five years ago. So it was a major initiative. And uh, and the most recent one is something, um, a program where we changed out a lot of our systems and our applications in the United States. So everyone has the same issue that we have, um, which is we have a lot of legacy systems. And they make it difficult to innovate. And so what we tried to do was go with either group systems or packages and really simplify the landscape in the United States. And this particular program was about, ended up being about a $400 million program. And it involved every line of business in the United States, every group across the United States. And it had been running for probably about three and a half years. We had uh, a leader that was in there that was running this on behalf of the United States, um, significant support from the global teams. But um, I was made the U.S. CIO in September 2016. And when I took over the role, I was told, if you look at it, the program's running very well, you know, focus on other things. So, you know, that's what I did. Um, so I think if we look back on things that I would do differently and anyone, right? So I've talked to friends who are in the exact same position in multiple different countries or different companies. Um, you would look at it and say, 
uh, we should really do a deep dive into this program. So I think once I did that about six months into the role, really a deep dive, let's take a look at the leadership pro- the leadership team. What does that look like? And realized that, uh, you know, we had some dates set and it was going to be difficult to meet those dates. And you start talking to the teams. The teams are a little demotivated. Everyone is kind of anxious across the globe. When is this going to deliver? The problem is when you've got a program that large, right, you're you're holding up other programs so that the business can continue to grow. You've got resources that are working on the projects, uh, and you've got, you know, the business wants to move forward. They want to develop. They want to innovate. But we still have this program going on that is taking up an enormous amount of time, not just on the technology side, but on the business side as well. So if we look at it, um, what we decided was, or what was decided um, with a number of my um, peers and, and my bosses, was um, I would double hat. So I would double hat as both the U.S. CIO, which was a big enough role to begin with, and I would take over as the what we call the program director for this uh, massive program that uh, was going to change up the United States. So the first thing I did when I came in was um, we did a review of the project plan. And, you know, this is something, you know, you know, ev- anyone who gets into this position is going to do, right? So there's a number of steps that you're going to take when you get in. You're going to look at the project plan. Does the project plan support the date that this program is going to deliver? And it didn't. Then you look at the budget. What have we been spending? What have we been spending the money on? Do we have sufficient funding in order to get this program over the line. We didn't. Do we have the right people on this program? People are really committed, but being committed and knowledgeable and being able to deliver this and having this amazing attitude to get this program delivered probably wasn't there at the time either. We had good leadership in there, but maybe it wasn't the right leadership at the time. So once you do the deep dive, you start looking at it and realizing that you really do have to make some changes. And I knew going into this that um, that this program had to be successful, regardless of what I did. Um, This program really had to be successful, but it wasn't, it had to be successful for the people on the ground. Some of these people had been working on this. I went back and some of these people had been in the very first meeting four years prior. They had been in the very first meeting. And, you know, they wanted to see this done. Some of the people wanted to retire. Some of the people wanted to do something different. But we had this major program going and, you know, they, I did it for them, right? I did it for our CEO. I did it because I wanted to see them be successful. So we started digging in. And uh, the first thing you do is you always want to look at the leadership team. Do we have the right leadership in place? We all know as leaders, the people that are going to deliver for you, Right. So you bring those people in, you put them in different positions, what we'll call the, uh, a friend of mine said, your, your troops, right? The people that are going to come in and really deliver on your behalf because they want to see the team successful. They want to see the U.S. successful. And so, you know, I made some swaps, right, in the leadership team, but I kept the people in who were very, very knowledgeable and very passionate, knowing it was going to take some time to turn them around because they had a relationship and a connection with the prior leader, right? You know, they had that relationship. And I knew at one point they were going to turn around, but it was going to take some time. It did end up taking about six months to turn them around. And then everybody was really joined up. So 
When you talk about storming, forming, norming, and performing that we all learned in our uh, management classes in college, it really, really, that's how this worked. So there were some people that uh, that I didn't feel necessarily were part of the team or that were contributing, and we had to move them out. But some people came back and said, listen, I know I haven't been performing, but I will be performing. And so I took their word for it. I kept them on the team. And in most cases, that did work out. Wow. Yeah. So just from like a context standpoint, you know, this being a $400 million transformation, mm-hmm. how does it compare to like any other programs or projects that were running at the time? Yeah, we had, um, well, in parallel, you know, we had to deliver for the business. So we we couldn't stop the business from growing. I mean, this program was going to contribute to the business growing in the United States, but there were other projects that, that couldn't stop. So you've got people, you know, part of the issue was that you have people aligned and have to deliver this program, but they're being pulled in all directions. Just come to this meeting. You've got the knowledge. We really need you in this meeting. I'll only take 30 minutes of your time. Oh, by the way, can you help to develop this? Can you help us think through this? So people were really being pulled in all directions. And, you know, the problem is you you still have to support that for the business. You know, it's not like you can say, we're going to have a program. It originally was never going to take four years, right? But you still have to manage and balance with business priorities. And that was always the challenge, and I'm sure, you know, but this was still a major undertaking. We were touching nearly every system that we owned. And, you know, when you talk about legacy systems, they're complex. And the goal was to try and reduce at least 50% of those systems, which we did. And so then you can start the innovation and you can start making things easier. But, you know, you also talk about skill sets, right? So we have people that in any large corporation, when you have these legacy systems, these people have skill sets that are not replaceable or that are very difficult to find or know that A connects to B. And (laughs) this is, you know, this program was done to handle this specific action, right? So you've got all of that sort of built around it. So it's tough, but you still have to always enable the business is why we're in technology. We're in technology, not for ourselves, but to support the growth of the business. So, Anne, when we talked um, earlier, you mentioned building trust with the team, and that's really how you built the foundation. Can you share with us how you did that? Absolutely. That was probably, listen, if you're going to be successful and you're going to be CIO or you're going to be a program um, director, Number one thing is you have to gain trust to your team or it's never going to work. They'll do the work, but they're not going to really give it their all. They're not going to really be passionate about it. Um, So I did a couple of things. So the first thing I did is I made a direct decision that I was not going to sit in an office and be, you know, by myself. I needed to be on the floor with the team. So we spent a lot of time in Buffalo, New York. If you haven't been to Buffalo, great restaurants, great chefs, highly recommend it. Um, A lot of time in Buffalo because that's really where our core banking team is. So I had a lot of people flying in. I required that people were in Buffalo, and it was great. It was a lot of camaraderie. But I did make the decision I wasn't going to sit in, in an office. And the conscious decision is I would sit on the floor every day with a different team. So I would sit with the finance team. I would sit with the... Uh, with core banking team and start having conversations. And initially, of course, you've got your CIO sitting next to you and people think, 
oh my God, you know, and they're not going to speak and they're going to act differently. I'll tell you, we really built those connections. And when people start, good morning, they want to see you, you know, you're starting to make traction and they'll tell you things. They'll say, listen, I've got an issue here. Uh, and that's really your role is to handle that, right? Is escalation. How can I help the teams? Um, if they bring a problem to you, how do you support them, right? It's all the escalation to keep the program moving. And I had people that, you know, were tough to bring around, right? But I knew I was successful in building that trust when, you know, I had somebody pull me into a room and say, listen, here's the issue, and draw on the board. And we stayed there for probably an hour, hour and a half. And we walked through, here's the issue, here's how I think we can resolve it. You know, you'd say to people, um, okay, that's great, go back and give me a couple of options and we'll walk through them. But when you're a leader, you have to sit down and you have to listen. If there's mistakes being made, people have to trust that they can tell you something and that you're not going to um, you're not fire, them. Like fire them. Right. <laughs> right? Right. I mean, that's how this works. If you're going to build an innovative team and an organization and have any hope of doing that, people are going to make mistakes and they have to, they have to be able to trust you. Um, it's building, Shelly, you and I have talked about this. It's building a safe environment for your teams. That is the only way that you're going to be successful. You know, and, uh, talking to the teams all the time, good morning, how are things going? You know, a lot of it is when I came in, there was definitely a lack of communication. So the prior, um, the prior program director, you know, was good, right? Just had a very different leadership style and what, I'm big on communication, right? I love town halls. I love talking to people. I think that's how you get things done. People weren't necessarily given the information they needed, the big picture, because the big picture gives you, you know, nobody wants to work in a silo and say, code this program, do this. You don't need to know why we're doing this. We implemented a, uh, we implemented a whole communications plan. So we had the town halls. I am all about transparency. People have to know what's going on. So we had town halls. We had a theme, a marathon. So there were a lot of runners. So we'd say, okay, starting gate, here we are. You know, and that last meeting, I remember when we had the marathon, we're crossing the finish line. We're running up the hill. We're going, we're going. Um, newsletters, you know, anything that we could do to communicate. Nobody wants to work in a silo. They want to know how they are contributing to the success of this program. That's what they want to know. And so the whole communication plan was laid out and you could see people starting to open up and, you know, they started trusting, right? They knew that we were here um, about six weeks before we went live. I had people coming up to me. So of course, with a program that large, we had external consultants. Uh, we had a lot of people that had been there a long time and I was finally getting the feedback that, and you know, this, so it took some time. Six weeks before we went live, this is the first time they believe this program's really going to go. Wow. Yeah. Nine dress rehearsals. You know, we would go there for weekends. We'd start the dress rehearsals Friday night, run through Sunday afternoon. You know, really built a team culture. And it was one of the best things I've ever done. I didn't think so at the time. That was tough. <laughs> right? That, that was really I was going to say, you, you make it sound so easy. This is such a huge endeavor. Most people won't face this in their entire career. So 
Um, I'm just curious, you know, at any point, were you just ready to give up? I mean, there had to be some moments where it was just so overwhelming. Yeah, it, it was definitely overwhelming, especially when you're traveling every single week and you have a day job, which is the CIO of the United States. The good news is I brought in people who, who I trust beyond anything and uh, people I've worked with almost my entire career. Oh, people like uh, like Sherry Vesper, people like Hyun Ko, people like Ken Dines, really remarkable people who delivered this program on our behalf. And I trusted them implicitly. Uh, yeah, there were times you were really down. Somebody would say, this isn't going to work. And you'd have to pull everyone into a room for four hours and start drawing on the board. If I heard one more time, this isn't going to work. There were days, you know, you thought, oh my gosh, this is really complex. Talk about moving dates. So the big thing also where, when I came in, there was a date set and we quickly realized that date was just not going to happen. The big thing was we made the conscious decision to not set a date. And we told the people on the global team and the business leadership to basically back off. Give us time. We need to do our own evaluation. You know, we'll get back to you in two weeks. And that was huge for the team because the team, every time they would come back, they would say, you know, a new date would get set. And the team would say, well, I, I didn't even have input into that. And I'm, I'm heading up core banking, right? So what we did is we sat down and we refused to publish a new date until we were 100% comfortable. Now, granted, the date changed one more time, which is fine, but we made the conscious decision not to do that. And that was a big deal for the teams, that we mm. gave them time, let them have their input, let them build the team, let them build the plan, and that's how we did it. So talk about building trust, and yeah, it was really... No, if I look back on it, it was it was a really tough time and keeping people motivated through that, you know, it was really tough. I mean, there were people who gave up their families, right, to get this program done because they were completely bought in. Those are the type of people I work with. You know, that is the leadership I needed to see. And wow, did they come through? I mean, from the programmers all the way up to people in charge of infrastructure, people in charge of, you know, the project management, um, they all just really came through and because they're leaders and people have to see the leaders have a smile on their face, regardless of how, in some cases, desperate you are, because you know what's going to happen if this thing isn't delivered. You're going to let a lot of people down. Right. And you're going to let those people down. You know, when I said in the beginning, the reason, the big reason I was doing this is because these people needed to see their hard work and to see this program deliver. They needed to see it. And that's exactly what happened. And the smiles on their faces. I remember when we went live, and then I have to talk about the success. When we went live, I went around and I shook every single person's hand on the floor. There were hundreds of people there from all over the globe that implementation weekend, hundreds of people. I shook everyone's hand, thanked everybody. I said, no matter what happens, we did the best. We had nine dress rehearsals, full dress rehearsals. Um, when we encounter issues, because we will encounter issues, this will not be smooth. Uh, when we encounter issues, uh, you know, we'll deal with them. And I look back on some of the support I received 
and you know from from some of the people some of my bosses right and and the leadership they provided to me they were always available saturday morning sunday night whenever you know they were on a plane i'll call you as soon as i land um the support i received from them too was really you know always a smile on your face you're going to do this and that's exactly what i saw that's what my team needed to see it was amazing yeah very few people are going to do a program this size and that's what we said you know we had this amazing party but the big thing is we did have success Six weeks before we went live, a bank in the UK tried to do the exact same program that we did and failed, really failed. So nearly all the C-suite was let go. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we had some friends uh, and we tried to find out what, what would they have done differently, right? So we're on this really tight deadline. What would they have done differently? And so we made some changes based on that, but we knew we had to go. And uh, we balance the bank in the first day. No one balances the bank in the first day on a project this <laughs> size. We process payments. The, the numbers are staggering, not a blip. So the goal, one of the big goals was to not be in the newspaper. We were not in the newspaper. So everything went. So, you know, you start seeing it's Sunday night. Jobs are going to start running. It's Monday. Okay. Things look Okay. It's Tuesday. All right. Things look okay. You start seeing some of the successes. And of course, then you hit, you know, your daily balancing, your weekly balancing, your monthly balancing, quarterly balancing. Now, yes, of course we had issues. No one runs a program this size and doesn't have issues, right? But they weren't customer impacting for the most part, right? So you look at it and you you've got your priority list because you're always going to have to de-scope on programs this size, right? So you've got your list of priorities. You get it funded and you move forward. So that took, you know, probably to settle things down six months to a year. And, you know, it's just, it, it really is a highlight of my career, but it's really a highlight of my team's career. There's a lot of people, a number of people that retired at the end and wow, they could go out with a smile on their face. Of course, we celebrated huge parties, right? In multiple cities. So it was a big deal. That's nice. Yeah. As you're saying, you know, uh, balancing the books on the first day, um, I struggle with doing that, even like running like a TCBY. Yeah. Right? So I never, I don't know what happened. I was always like 14 cents. I don't know what happened at 14 cents. <laughs> That's great. So what are some of the, the big lessons learned about, like, what are some of those uh, strategic things that you put in place as you're, you're getting started? You're obviously the resetting calendars, having new eyes, getting the team in place. What are some of those unintended learnings or education, you know, things that happened that you said, wow, that was, I wouldn't have imagined. Yeah. When you take over a new role, like a CIO role, you know, you make your list of priorities and you understand what the priorities are for the business. And you step back. And I think the things that would have changed is that deep dive would have happened a lot sooner than it did. Okay. Right. So I was being given, you know, feedback you know, because people really and truly believe this. The leaders at the time really believe this program is going well, which is fine. But I think it's really, when you take over that new role, you really do, you know, have the teams do those deep dives and walk you through. And in most cases, those program, all the programs I've done over my career, right, where we, we sold the credit card business, we implemented new AR systems, 
lots of awards, you know, team awards for all of those that I've done in my 20 plus years between household and HSBC. Really looking at the plans and what it's going to take and challenging and questioning, asking the right questions. Have you thought through everything? Because a lot of people that are at, at our levels right now, we've got that type of experience. We know the questions that we should be asking. So I think definitely having done that earlier was a big learning. That's great. Funny enough, uh, we recently had Gene Kim of the Unicorn Project on. The interesting part about that story is it's told from the other side where the chief product officer who's supposed to be surfacing, right, doing that deep dive is doing everything that they can to create false dates and false expectations and you know, managing up to the CEO, right? That's a pretty common occurrence, Yeah. right? Yeah. So the, the digging in deep and really being honest about what you're seeing with clear eyes, not not hope. Right. Right. With clear eyes, it's right. And And my philosophy is everyone has the best intentions. Everyone goes into work every single morning believing they know what's happening and believing they are doing the right thing and believing that they have the right type of leadership to get that program done. There are very, very few exceptions to that. But that fresh set of eyes, really challenging and really thinking through it, you might see things differently. And some people may may have been on a program too long. I've seen it, you know, like I said, back in the household days, I've seen it on projects and on programs where, you know, people believe and maybe they don't even have the experience to do it, right? I mean, maybe you do need to put somebody new in and somebody with fresh eyes to do that, but they may really not have the experience necessary to run that program. I remember there was a program turned over to me in um, God, years and years ago, and the program was in trouble and the person was going to, you know, going to be off doing something else, which was fine. It was turned over to me and, you know, I got a spreadsheet that had three cells in it. That was the budget. I was like, well, what have you been spending the money on? How did we spend this much money? What does it look like in a project plan with like 10 lines in it? And you wow. think, wow, like nobody saw that, right? And, and Were so, they really well formatted? I mean, was no. it like, like color-coded? <laughs> they were not color-coded. I, mean, <laughs> I mean, make them count if you only get a three. I mean, they were able to explain it, certainly. Right. But, you know, you want to see some documentation. I want to see things written down, right? I want to be able to go through there, you know, with a cup of coffee, sitting in an office and, and kind of digesting this, you know. And, uh, you know, so I think everyone has different management styles, different leadership styles. And, you know, everyone does have the best intentions. But it's up to the leaders of the organization to challenge what they're seeing. That's our role. That's awesome. So is that... From like a, a personality type, because I, I wrestle with this of leadership, you know, the the influencers, the motivators, and then the detail people, right? So which, where do you fall? Are you lean more towards the uh, the motivator? Do you lean more towards the detail person? I am the, we will get it done. Go team. I am very much, but we need all different personalities. On a team, we need all different personalities. We It's so funny because people will say, you know, the innovators, and I've got people coming in, you know, we were doing hackathons, and I've got people coming in and, you know, so excited. Look what, And look what we're doing. 
This is so exciting. We've got a hackathon. Here's what we're doing. Here's what we're presenting. Here, you know, introducing me to the teams. And you can just see that passion. And that just, that just pumps me up. But every town hall I do, right? Every town hall and everything, I always start out with thank you to the people that are behind the scenes getting the job done. The people that are keeping our systems up and running, the people that are doing the patching over the weekends. So you always have to remember that everybody has a different role. Some will be more vocal than others. Some will be less vocal than others. But you have to recognize that everyone in the organization has a role and you have to respect everyone's role. I don't want everybody out there chatting, 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 right? There are some people who will lead and drive, but there are some people who are going to be heads down doing the programming and understanding how the systems are all integrated. You've got people and we need those people. And then you've got people that are sitting, you know, that have the ability to have great relationships with the business partners. They know exactly what to present. They know the questions the business is going to ask. They know and understand how the business is going to be growing and IT's role to help the business grow. So everyone in the organization has a different role. And you have to recognize that and reward that. It's not always the people that are doing the talking, that are doing the presenting, that are always speaking in the meetings. You've got people around that table. It's our job as leaders to pull them in. And some people, it's they just wait to talk, right? Like there's some people, maybe some people like me, who can't wait to talk, who loves the sound of their own voice, <laughs> right? Like, And I get it. it. But I had this uncle who would wait to, like, everybody else would say things. Everybody can't wait to talk. I have an uncle that, like, waited till everybody else was done. And then the things that would come out of his mouth were just pure gold. Right? See? And I, I agree with you. For a leader, recognize who these people are. You need the instigators to get the party started, right? Get the talkers talking. And then develop a trick, a tool to get them to stop talking. That's right. right. And then engage the ones that, you know, are just sitting back and processing, you know, because you're going to get some real magic out of those folks. That's exactly right. And I don't think we do. I don't think we do a good enough job in identifying and pulling those people in because you're right. There are a lot of people around that room who are observing and who have things to say, but they want to hear. It's those different personality styles. And sometimes, you know, other people have said, you know, what they maybe they waited too long or whatever. And I always tell some people that are afraid to speak, speak right in the beginning. Because otherwise you're going to be thinking about it. When is the time to jump in, right? When is it going to be time? Speak right up in the beginning. And that'll give you the courage and the bravery to be able to, you know, get your thoughts and your points across. Because you're really smart and you're really important to this team, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So mine is very much a... um I reread one of my cards uh, last night is like pom-pom and cheerleader. And we're going to get this done and the motivator. And and I love, that's what I love to do. And I love to see building relationships with people. That's the fun part of my job. I love that. I think that's uh, really good advice uh, for our listeners, Anne. And I'm just curious, you know, you've inspired so many women and girls in technology. I'm curious, you know, who inspired you and Second question, what kind of drove you to your professional decisions? God, great question, Shelly. Yeah, um, it's trying to identify, you know, it would be so easy to say, I don't want to be the CIO. 
something in me that says I wanted to be that CIO and I had always wanted to be that CIO. I tell the story that um, I was in college at UIC, actually, local here. I was in a management class and one of our professors said, so who wants to be in the C-suite? And I thought, yeah, that's me. Yep, I'd like to be in the C-suite. And I raised my hand. There were probably three or four of us. And so I knew back then when I was in college, but, you know, I was a biology major and um, I love, love science, biology, chemistry, anything to do with science. And my dad, who was actually in this field, um, he worked downtown Chicago for many years, said, why don't you take a programming class? And I took a programming class and it wasn't the cool stuff that we have today, right? Um, it was a lot do of you reporting. remember what it was? Yeah. Well, it was like programming. It was like Pascal and BASIC and PL1 and RPG <laughs> and COBOL and all that good stuff, although there are a lot of COBOL programmers still today. Um, uh, I learned on Pascal, and it see? was fantastic. Wow. I love it. That's great. <laughs> so, you know, learning. So you didn't miss much up at St. Norbert College because that's what you were. <laughs> <laughs> I told him I wanted to go to St. Norbert's. It's so funny, but I was very, That, very that doesn't happen often. It's not a usual occurrence. <laughs> Well, I was really lucky to graduate from UIC. So, um, you know, so there were a lot of leaders along the way. I had, uh, I have a lot of mentors and I have a lot of coaches because I think it's really important, really senior people in the organization. And um, I had some really good bosses who, you know, I always tell people, you can be heads down doing your job, but you really have to be communicating what you want to do and what you want to be when you grow up. It's just really important. Nobody's going to be able to read your mind. And I always, always made it a point to my boss, any boss that I had, I want to do more. I want to do more. So I'd volunteer for a lot of things, build my network. I was always volunteering to do things on top of my day job. And people that inspire me are women that are changing the world, right? So Rashman, Girls Who Code. We brought in Girls Who Code for the first time, HSBC. I was the executive sponsor, uh, one of the highlights of my career. Uh, we brought uh, 21 junior and senior girls into our headquarters in uh, at Fifth Avenue and 40th, and seven weeks. And talk about inspirational. And you see what they're up against today. They're taking classes, um, and not every class, of course, but some of the stories. You know, one girl was the only girl in her engineering class, and they didn't speak to her. And it took her weeks to prove her worth and her value in that class. That's really unfortunate. And she's only a junior. So you look back and go, oh, my gosh, you know, what are these girls facing in high school? And then how are they going to face it in college and when they get out to the workforce? And, you know, corporate America isn't easy. And it's really tough. And there's a lot of competition. You have to be really good at what you do. But I am inspired by, you know, people that work really hard and really smart people and people that are passionate about what they do. And people who want to make a difference in the world. And, you know, one of my big passions is women and girls in technology. And like I said, bringing those girls in and hearing their stories. And, you know, they're still connecting with me. How are you? Can you be a reference for me on my college application? You know, just checking in at Christmas. And absolutely amazing. I see what UIC is doing with women. You know, they just got the, um, a big grant from the Melinda Gates Foundation. You know, UIC, the population of people that are uh, applying to the program has quadrupled since 2012. And the dean over there, Pete, uh, Pete Nelson, is absolutely doing an amazing job over at UIC. So we just got this huge grant that literally is going to change the face of Chicago. I don't know if many people realize that. 
Well, I, I did. I saw something about that. What, yeah. How much money was that? Well, they're not saying. They're not saying. No, okay. and I'm actually on the board for the, which is, I, I'm just thrilled about. I'm on the board for the College of Engineering, the advisory board. So they're not saying, but it is an investment in Chicago for both UIC and looking at cities outside of San Francisco. So New York at Cornell University with Judy um, and, you know, was the first outside of San Francisco and now Chicago. So we're absolutely, you know, it, it is a big deal for Chicago that there is this investment going on from the Gates Foundation. Um, just curious, Anne, a lot of people, I'm, I'm sure some of the girls and the women you mentor ask you for advice. What's the best piece of advice uh, you've given? Oh, I love to do that. I just spoke to a, um, to a group through ARA. Um, to a group of 80 women, and there were a lot of younger girls there, and they said, you know, they asked the exact same question, Shelly. It's so important. I think not staying in the same role, and I'll probably be very controversial, but probably not staying in the same company. I think you have to move around. I think you have to get different experiences with different bosses, with different colleagues, with different teams. I think you should be working in large organizations, small organizations, medium, startups, um, I think you, like I said, you should have the different experiences working with different organizations. I think you need mentors and coaches. I do believe, though, and this is my view, that coaching is sometimes used, used as an excuse to not promote women. Mm. Um, something's wrong with you. So I, I'm very careful when I tell the girls when you get a coach or you get a mentor that it is not used against you for, um, you know, not promoting you within an organization. You're reaching out for help. I, I always say there's a lot of men that I see that need coaching and mentoring as much as the women or more, if I'm being truthful, right? Um, so that's what I say. And really, the other big thing is know your value on the market. You always, every year, you should be evaluating what your market value is. You should know exactly what you're worth. And I think that by moving around, I think, you know, getting those different experiences that you will, you're going to keep up with the market um, more than maybe staying with the company for a very long time. I think that's really important. I don't think I disagree with anything you're saying, especially the moving around and knowing what you're worth, right? That's right. And my experience in having run companies for the last 20 years, squeaky wheel gets the oil. That's exactly right, Patrick. So. Now, and the, the thing is, there's more parity than ever before in like what people know because salary.com, there's just so many places you can find that out, right? And then you've got to, there, there's the challenge of like, am I a good one? Am I not a good one? Where am I on the spectrum? But that's right. There's a lot of clarity out there that you can leverage and say, look, this is fair. I'm, I'm just looking for what's fair. What's fair? That's exactly right. What is fair? Well, because money doesn't make people happy. I think we all know that. Mm -hmm. It can make you feel respected, right, and appreciated, but it's never going to make you really happy. Nobody's like, we. At one point, we, my last time we had a survey. One of the questions was, uh, "I feel like I'm being fairly compensated for my role." It's a dumb question. Who's going to answer yes? Right, like. Of course, I want more money. Who doesn't want more money? But it is being fair, and that is the I've used that. I have used that throughout my career, my 20 year career. When you have those conversations with your boss, I want to be paid fairly, right? This person should be paid fairly for what they're doing. I love that word. Yeah. 
is very interesting. So what are some of the recommendations? Because I think, uh, you know, one of the things I, I always find interesting is, you know, when you get to a certain age and you're, you're, you're more focused on having an impact than making money or advancement or like when you get to the CIO level, it's like, all right, where am I going from here? Right? Like, do I want to be CEO? It's uh, a whole nother wrinkle right there. But right. the thought being is creating some awareness for, for younger people that like, you know, if you reach out for help, you know, folks like us will respond. We will take time. Right. Well, what are some of those things? Because I, I think there's a difference between the serious and the unserious, right? Like when people reach out, yeah. you know, if somebody reaches out to you, what would be some of your advice to them? You mentioned be active in like figuring out what you want to be when you grow up. And I'm sure you and I will figure that out someday too. <laughs> we will. Right. And Shelly, right. Someday we'll get this I'm right. I'm a long way away. Right. <laughs> That's right. But it's not so much that you have the answer, but that you're in pursuit, right? That's right. And that you come in prepared with some idea. Right? That's right. So are there other things like when people reach out to you for help that you'd say, hey, you know what? Pre-process some of this stuff. Show up prepared, right? Have some answers to some of these really important questions. That's right. It's um, a third of what I'm doing right now is helping people. So I've got a lot of people reaching out saying either I'm in transition or I'm trying to figure out what I want to do next. You're absolutely right. When you reach that CIO position, you know, well, I'm still looking for a CIO, you know, or COO, you know, but people are still trying to figure out what they want to do. And I think some of the advice I'm giving them is really, um, it's so cliche, but it's so important. You got to network. Most people are going to get their roles through networking. I heard about this. I can vouch for this person. So the issue, though, is that not everybody's comfortable networking. And so they really have to. It's it's a lot of work for some people to network. You know, I love networking. I love talking to people. Right. I love building relationships. You know, back in Chicago and, you know, rebuilding everything. to see, You know, all the relationships in Chicago and seeing what's going on. A great tech city. Um, but not everybody's comfortable doing that, but they're going to have to get comfortable doing that. I bet people calling me out of the blue saying, oh, I heard about you. So-and-so made an introduction. Um, do you have 15 minutes? So, so what I do when I meet with people, I'm meeting a couple of people even this week, you know, tell me, think through what you're looking for. If you don't have clarity, spend the time, go to a star. I love sitting in a Starbucks or a coffee shop somewhere, right? And what is the type of company I'm looking for, right? Is it a large company? Is it a medium company? And the medium-sized companies, you can maybe make more of a difference, right? You can have that impact maybe more than you can in a global, this massive global organization. So think through what are the cities you want to be working in? Do you want to be a programmer? Do you want to be in a, in a different type of position? So really thinking through and giving yourself time. It's the same thing when you do when you do your year-end review, right? Really think it through. What did I accomplish? What did I do? What am I going to do differently next year? So it's really getting to know yourself and what makes you tick. What is going to want to make you wake up in the morning and say, I can't wait to get to the office and make a difference. Life is too short to do anything less than that, right? So it's really trying to understand what is important to you and then going for it. Joining organizations. We have a lot of great organizations here in Chicago, right? We do. A lot of communities. A lot of communities of people. And the more I talk to people, the more so-and-so knows this person, so-and-so knows this person. Yeah, it is a really great community of people that want to help, that are here to help people. And all people have to do is reach out. 
I agree. I, I think that's really great advice. And you hear it all the time. Chicago is a small town. I think there's a handful of people, people like Shelly, who really do know exactly how small this town is. I am right? so lucky to have gotten to know Shelly. Shelly, I don't know how long you and I have been friends, but I feel so blessed to know Shelly and to have gotten to know Shelly. She is a networker like no totally. one I have ever met. That's right. <laughs> You're being too kind. I hope I can live up to those words. Uh, oh, and so, it is yeah. true. But when you have a connector like Shelly and how much she has her fingers on so many things yes. and like she knows so many people and she's put goodwill into so many other people's bank accounts, right? Yes. And so it's, those people are out there, right? Yeah. And you need to find them. Shelly right? so is one of them. Shelly, you are is. absolutely amazing. We're very, very lucky to have gotten to know you. Oh, thanks, Ann. Well, Ann, I really appreciate you coming in today. This is a great story. I, I really uh, wish you good luck. Thank you. What happens next? Thank uh, you, Patrick. Thank you, Shelley. Obviously, I'm excited Thank to hear you. more about the what's going on at UIC with with the Gates Foundation. What a great that, story! Yeah, I mean, we need we. It just we all know that this is a great hotbed for technology talent and. That sounds like it's just going to put like a rocket ship on it. So it is. We are. I mean, Chicago has always been a tech town, but this is just you know between the the grants that UIC got and and the the investment that this foundation is making in the city of Chicago. I, I am so excited and I'm excited to be on the board of UIC and you know help to influence and um, yeah, really really good things for Chicago. Yeah. And the Gateses, I mean, they don't lose. They do not lose. You know, they play They play to win. They really right? do. Like, I agree. You know, like you put that much money and brains behind something, you know, That's it's, right. it's amazing. Yeah. And when you think about like the legacy of, of the Gates family, right, over the – somebody said it the other day, and like in less than a generation, nobody will know who Steve Jobs is, but everybody will know who Bill Gates was. They're changing the world. Yeah. Polio, it's everything. It's just amazing. absolutely amazing. I agree. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And, you know, love to have you back on I'd maybe later this year. Absolutely. Hear how yeah. things are going. And so uh, thank you very much. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you, Shelly. It's been an thank honor you, and um, really enjoyed this. Thank you, Anne. Awesome. We also wanted to thank you, our listeners. We really appreciate everyone taking the time uh, to tune in and listen to, to Anne's amazing story and, and get some ideas about how to you know, create structure, build a team, build trust. And if you'd like to receive new episodes as they're published, you can subscribe by visiting our website at dragonspears.com slash podcast, or find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was sponsored by Dragon Spears and produced by Dante32.